What's going on, everybody? Welcome to a Monday edition of Texans All Access from the Hyundai Texans Radio Studio. I'm your host, Sean Harris, football analyst, sideline reporter, and a little sad after yesterday's 21-14 loss to the New York Jets, a.k.a. the New Jersey Jets, I guess New Jersey Jets. I don't know, New Jersey Jets sounds kind of good to me, but they're just... That's not what they're going with. So either way, Texans lose, fall at 2-9 on the year. And that is highly unfortunate because yesterday was a great opportunity, especially ahead 14-3, but didn't turn out that way for the good guys. And it's time to go back to the drawing board and get ready to face the Indianapolis Colts. So let's find out what the Texans have got to do, get a review of yesterday's game, and then get Andre Ware's thoughts on what is happening at Oklahoma, why Lincoln Riley went to USC, this weekend's gargantuan matchup between Cincinnati and Andre's alma mater, the University of Houston, the AAC championship. We'll get his thoughts on that. But first, we ask Andre his thoughts when the Texans were up 14 to 3. Was he feeling good? Yeah, no doubt about it. You're feeling good. And you're it's the Jets, so you're supposed to, you know, they're supposed to just roll over and uh, and uh, and let you beat them. But that wasn't the case. They fought back. A uh, couple of uh, couple of errors in the second half, and and all of a sudden we find ourselves on a the other end of a 21-14 loss. Dre, I'm going to ask you this. We'll get to the Texans in a second, but I know you did a number of games in Zach Wilson's BYU career. And yeah. I'll never forget the night watching the U of H game in 2020 where they posted your quarterback rankings for the draft, and you had Zach Wilson, number two, right behind Trevor Lawrence. You were the first person to have that, and everybody else jumped on. I know he's the first game coming off the knee injury. He had the knee injury. What do you think overall, what do you think his, his future is, getting a chance to see him now up close with the Jets, and what's going to lead to more success for him with the Jets? Yeah, I think, Zach is, uh, I think Zach's right on pace. He's, you know, he's turning the ball over at an alarming rate, but he's also trying to make plays. And I think once the Jets settle in around him in terms of upgrading the talent level around him, uh, that's when he's going to get better. One thing that one glaring thing that stood out is that he tries to throw everything a hundred miles an hour. And I didn't see that from him at BYU. He had touch. And I think that just comes from, from trust and getting adjusted to game speed. Once he's starting to trust the guys around him, he adjusts to the game speed. He's been off four weeks, so it's an adjustment uh, again for him coming back. And then you've got the knee injury that he's wondering, will that thing hold up? So I think he's right on pace. He'll be fine if they can upgrade the talent around him. Uh, I think he's going to be he's going to be fine. All right. So Dre, what do you do with the Texans' quarterback situation here with Taylor having a subpar second half? But it wasn't just him; it's the whole offense. And I know it's a team thing because it's not like Davis Mills was putting up a lot of points. But at some point, you need to see Mills again. You would think going into the off season, where quarterback is going to be a question for the future, and you have a high draft pick. So, what do you think the whole situation boils down to in these final six games? Well, I think it's got to match from top to bottom is what I think. I think, you know, the, the scouting department, uh, Nick may want to see Davis Mills for evaluation purposes, like you just mentioned. And then, you know, when you look, when you get to the coaching staff, they're trying to win games because I mean, that's what you're hanging your hat on. So who gives you the best chance to win games now? And, and that's Tarod. And I think it, I don't even think it's close uh, at this point. So, you know, you, if, 
if it does warrant a switch, uh, if Tarad turns the ball over in an alarming, he didn't have a bad game yesterday. It just didn't show up right. statistically in the yards department. I mean, he threw two touchdown passes, 17 to 26. Most guys will take that. Uh, you know, you increase it to about 200 plus yards, then that's a good afternoon. But uh, they've got to figure out a way to get in the end zone. He put them in there twice, as you just mentioned. It wasn't happening with Davis Mills, so it's a situation of. Who wants to win now? The coaching staff certainly does because their jobs are on the line. And, uh, you know, then scouting departments looking at looking at it from an evaluation standpoint uh, going forward. So uh, somehow that thing's got to sort itself out. But I, I, I do think that Terod gives them the best chance to win. Jay, we ta- I talked about this uh, in the open, the fact that the Texans had their fifth different offensive line combination yesterday with Titus moving out to left tackle and I think that's probably the one where everybody I don't say raised an eyebrow but like whoa wait a second Titus is now not not only going to right tackle he's going all the way out to left tackle which is something he did in college he played both right and left and then Lane Taylor jumped in at left guard they didn't run the ball ultra successfully yesterday um, especially minus Tyrod's 30 yards on that scramble in the third quarter but with the different pieces on the offensive line and I know we haven't gotten all the way through the film any of us but your just your thoughts a about Titus moving to left tackle in particular and b just the overall play of the offensive line one of I'm Titus it's stick me somewhere and leave me you know you have me at right tackle one year now or last year this year they moved you moved him inside to left guard and then you know now left tackle where is he most comfortable that I don't think he really cares where he plays just put him somewhere and let him you know, start a career and, and see if, you know, how, how well he can play at that spot. Uh, if injuries occur, that's that's one thing. But, you know, to keep flip-flopping, that's frustrating for a player because you, you don't know what, what message is being sent there uh, to that particular player. So uh, I know if, I, if I'm Titus, I want just a spot. I thought the offensive line at times yesterday, especially early, I was like, I was surprised. It, it looked good. They were running the ball. They the first drive, I think, was a nice mix of five passes, five runs, and resulted in a score. Um, but then as the game progressed, it seemed as though the Jets figured out how to break them down in terms of uh, where the weaknesses were, where they were going to attack, uh, and they were able to get home on Tarot at times as well as, as pretty much shut the running game down. Dre, how hard is it for these players right now? Look, they're all professionals. They get paid for what they do, and they all know it's important to show up individually but also to keep the team thing together, to try to continue to improve the team thing, the mentality involved, all of that. How difficult is it for these guys? You had the situation with Reed yesterday. You have some other guys who have been deactivated for a game here and there. But yesterday you show up, you lose by seven, but you lose. And I know it's got to be difficult with six games to go. What do you think? Yeah, could Justin Reed have helped? Absolutely, uh, yesterday. But, you know, I think there's a – a standard and a culture that's trying to be set uh, within the building and certain things just aren't going to fly. I don't know what those things are, but obviously that message is being displayed because it's been that way. It seems like for a player or players the last few weeks where they're healthy scratches or for disciplinary reasons. And so you just kind of have to fall in line and it's frustrating. You know, those things are fine. If, when you're winning games, everybody wants to, to fall in line. But when uh, when it's going the way it's going, then and that's a little bit tougher 
to uh, to swallow, especially for veteran players. Younger players, they're just going to do what they're told because they have no idea of what the NFL is like. Guys that have been around, uh, have been on multiple teams. That's that's a uh, tough pill, tough pill to swallow, so to speak. And and uh, especially when you get to this point in the schedule, this point in the year, and you're you know two and two and nine, I guess it is now. Uh, that that's going to be a little tougher to sell to uh, to older players. Dre, yesterday, Joe Burrow threw for only 190 yards. Jamar Chase only had 39 yards receiving and no touchdowns. Yet, mm. the Cincinnati Bengals beat the Steelers 41-10. to 10. Joe Mixon had 165 yards rushing. That was the big key. And T. Higgins um, had 114 yards receiving. I know we can't really figure out what the best team and who the best team is in the AFC. But could you make a case for the Bengals being the best team in the AFC? Yeah, they also throw in, uh, I think it's three sacks and, and two interceptions in there oh, as yeah. well. And so, yeah, I think you could you can make a uh, – they've been there before, though, Johnny. I mean, they were top dogs in the AFC early in the season. They lost – When the Jets beat them. <laughs> yeah, they dropped a couple of the games. Jets beat and then, then all of a sudden everybody found out about them. But they were still a good football team. They had a lot of injuries. And now they're back healthy again with Mixon leading the show. So you've got a good, solid running game. You've got a defense. You've got a quarterback that you know can throw it around. He can throw it upwards of 50 times a game and take care of it along the way. So they've got every ingredient that you need to be a good football team. And I think it's starting to show right now. They just happen to take it out on a Steelers team that I think may be pointed in the other direction. Um, Mike Tomlin's never had a losing season in Pittsburgh. This might be the year. Uh, ben Roethlisberger, is he at the end of his career? Certainly seems that way. Uh, the way uh, they're going about things offensively and can't really run the football, um, can't really move it through the air with consistency the way they that we've seen them in previous years. So that brings you back to can Cincinnati win the division? Well, they're right there with Baltimore, who I think is, I think I told you guys last week, that would be my choice uh, to represent the AFC right now. But Cincinnati's kicking on. I mean, they're right on their heels. I mean, the interesting thing about Baltimore is last night, Lamar throws four interceptions. Yeah. They still find a way to win because they play good yeah. defense, and they just throttled Cleveland in that way. And Jackson, it was funny because Collinsworth was asked by Tarico, uh, not do you think about pulling Lamar, but, you know, how do you handle the four picks? And Collinsworth is like, uh, you play Lamar Jackson. I mean, you know, it's like Michael Jordan missed a lot of shots, and you just play Lamar Jackson because you know yeah. some of those things are going to happen from time to time. But the guy's going to put his cape on when he needs to, and he got you the he kept the ball, kept playing keep away at the end of the game. Yeah, if if you look at Lamar, I mean, he, he's obviously athletic, but he turns it over. Can you imagine him without the interceptions yesterday or the fumbles that he's had? in games that they've had to come back from or overcome when he tones that stuff down, he'll be dang near flawless. And, uh, and I think it's just from trying to make plays. Whereas I think in years past, he's just kind of let the game come to him. Now I think he's may, he may be trying to make plays because of the lack of a running game. They've had to mix Freeman and Murray and, and Duvernay at times. He'll carry the ball on inner rounds or, or things like that. But you know, they have a good running game when they're healthy. They're just not healthy at that position right now. So it puts a tremendous amount of pressure on Lamar to have to do some things outside of outside of the scheme. He's going to do them anyway, but
but now it seems like he's pressing even more. When those turnovers tone down, that's going to be an even better team. And the lack of a eight, we're yeah, we're picking nitpicking at eight and three. They're sitting yeah. there at eight and three. Who would look? I mean, how many teams would love to be there right at this point? I would. Season? I'm raising Absolutely. my hand right now. I'd I'm like to be my hand. Listen, I'd like to be three and eight today. Just today, I'd like to be three and eight. <laughs> you know what I mean? Instead of two and nine. Yeah. I'll take that. Not asking for much here. Yeah. Not asking for much. Just a win yesterday would have been nice. <laughs> uh, Dre, the Packers, I thought, really looked good, and they're not, not fully healthy, really. I don't think David Bakhtiari is back. The Buccaneers go get a win in Indianapolis, and really, the, the Colts I can't figure out. They threw the ball 26 times in a row yesterday. Why? I know. That's what I'm saying. And Arian says, no one can run on us. Well, they're not even trying. I know. <laughs> you, you've got the, uh, one of the better offensive lines and, and arguably the best back in the league right now. And, I mean, Derrick Henry is that guy, but Jonathan, he's not healthy. So it's Jonathan Taylor. So you've got those two. And the Cardinals were off this week. Of those three, Dre, who would you take $100 to Caesars in Vegas or Caesars wherever and put $100 down and say, I'm taking – one of these three teams, I'm taking this one to win Wait, the which, NFC. What are the three again? Cardinals, mm-hmm. Bucks, Packers. Mm. Which one are Ooh. you putting your C note on to go win the NFC? Not to win a Super Bowl, but they might obviously, but they win a game. But which one are you putting money on to go win the NFC? I know, I know which one I'm going with. Everybody's I'm healthy. Guys. I'm taking it. Everybody's healthy at this point when I'm yes. in in Vegas. At Caesars, yes. at the yes. the count, yeah, yes. and I'm getting ready to do this. Uh, yes, man, it is hard to mm-hmm. to pass up on the Packers. Hard. I agree. I agree. Hard to pass. I mean, you know, the main their main back goes out yesterday, and all of a sudden here comes Dylan. When when Jones goes out, Aaron Jones goes out. Here comes Dylan to give him a lift. And not only running it, but he's he's catching touchdown passes for him. Uh, Randall Cobb has had an emergence where, you know, four catches for 95 yards and a touchdown. And then the other two big guys on the outside, Scantling, Valdez Scantling, and uh, yeah. and the best in the business, uh, and Devontae Adams, uh, man, that's hard to pass up. And the defense is starting to play and round itself out. So, Mm, Tampa struggled at times. Yeah, they've won games, but they still have struggled at times to me to win. I mean, in Indianapolis yesterday, they they struggled in that one. Both teams what are eight and three. I think yep. that's right. Now the Packers yep. one game more. They're nine and three, uh, with with obviously a bye week yet to happen. So, man, I, it would it'd be tough for me to pass on the Packers. I got to go Green Bay as well. But I might change my mind next week because, you know, when Brady gets to the postseason, if everybody's healthy, yeah, watch it's a different out. animal. Because what yeah. did he do last year? Beat everybody on the road to get to the Super Bowl. Then he played that at home. So, And the Cardinals, to me, I would say they're third in this little contest we're having here only because they haven't done it before. Yeah. And, yeah. you know, we haven't seen Murray and Hop for a while because they've been out, but they've gone yeah. two and one without them. So good for them. It's really tough to, to predict these things, and that's why they have those big hotels in Las Vegas. When I asked you that question, mm-hmm. I knew exactly who I was thinking. And I don't want to be a prisoner of the moment because Green Bay hasn't been perfect. Nobody has. Nobody has. But I'm the same way. I'm with you guys. I would pick Green Bay. My thought is, 
and I and this is what does scare me though is I do think the Bucks, Brady, I I did not want to see the Bucks sort of turn the corner. I mean, I did want to see them beat the Colts, but they have a game like that where playoff Lenny turns into four Fournette scoring four touchdowns yesterday, and it's like, mm. oh, maybe yep. maybe this maybe this is what gets that thing turned around for them, and they could be sort of they could be sort of scary. And you know what? You know who doesn't and isn't scared of playing in the cold in Green Bay in the playoffs? Brady, Brady, Brady. and the Bucks as they proved yep. last year. So yep. that would that and, would be. Different. And you know what? Your defense plays better when Brady's on your team. That's what happens. You know, special teams plays better. Yeah. Food tastes better. It's Brady. He has this effect <laughs> on people. All right? That, that is the deal. All right, Andre, I asked you this last week, but I'm going to ask you again this week. Cougs, Cincinnati, this is highly compelling stuff. The nation has caught on to the Cougars being, hey, you know what? They're pretty good. The University yeah. of Houston, what is the shot here this weekend? And it's kind of a bittersweet thing for people who like underdogs in college football because a lot of people want to see Cincinnati in this playoff, but, geez, you want to see the Cougs beat them. Thoughts? Yeah, I've had them both, uh, the Cougs and the, and the Bearcats. And I, I can tell you this from from having seen both, the Cougs going on the road to Cincinnati have mm. to get off to a great start. And I'm not talking about good start. I'm talking about great start. I'm talking about Texas Tech kind of start. But finish it. And and the difference in that team that we saw in week one, Johnny, because I, I saw you at that game. Yeah. And the and and where they are now is the defense is yep. light years better. They have found a running game with Alton McCaskill. Uh yep. whether or not he's fully a hundred percent, I heard he got hurt again. He went out in the game I had two weeks ago against Memphis with a shoulder, didn't play in the second half, and they looked ordinary in the second half he got bumped up again Saturday why he was playing I have no idea because it's UConn and I was telling my crew that you know we're texting back and forth what the hell is McCaskill doing in the game when it's UConn you can beat UConn with your third team guys but he played so he's he's not 100% from what I understand that is a big difference because he's a difference maker on the offense so you got a defense that's playing light years better you got the offense with McCaskill in it, that that can certainly get it done against anybody. Now that brings you to Cincinnati, who's a the most one of the more complete teams that I've seen this year. On offense, they're deep. On defense, they are exceptionally deep. And then on special teams, they get it done there too. I think they blocked the punt the other day uh, for a touchdown. I blocked the punt and then blocked the field goal for a touchdown by Sauce Gardner, the, one of the better corners. Yep. They've got the best tandem of corners in the country, in my opinion, with Kobe Bryant on one side and uh, Ahmad Gardner on the other. It's crazy how good they are. Uh, we're talking NFL players, two of them at tight end. Hard for me to pick against them with them being at home. I think that's the only difference. If the Cougs were hosting this game, I would go with the Cougs. If I were, if, if it's Cincinnati hosting the game, I'd go with Cincinnati, but by the narrowest of margins. Couple things, Dre, and you hit it. If McCaskill's banged up, I wouldn't be surprised to see number eight Marcus Jones get more on offense for Houston. And yeah, secondly, mean, he's he, he's, he's a football player, and, and I, I'm telling you, I'm not saying that it's not a, a downgrade, but it's actually a huge compliment because you can put Marcus Jones anywhere. You can line him up at quarterback, yep. uh, at wherever you want to put him, and he will figure out how to make plays in a football game. 
He's, yep. I mean, he's so underrated. Uh, I don't know where he's projected to be drafted, but it's not going to be high enough for the value that an NFL team's going to get from Marcus Jones. I mean, it's, it's crazy. Ask, ask Sonny Dykes how good he is and yeah. that he wished he wouldn't have kicked to him in that game against SMU at the end. No doubt. Other thing on that game, Alec Pierce, wide receiver number 12, I think is one of the sneakiest hot wide receivers in the country. He is another phenomenal. Pro. He's, he, he's another pro, Johnny. He he's an he, absolute another pro. He's going to run a, somewhere around 4'4", four, four, yeah. four, 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 but he's 6'3". Uh, he's about 215 pounds. Yep. He catches everything. everything. And they've got other guys, Tyler Scott, Michael Young, Trey Tucker in the slot. Uh, a huge offensive line. And and I haven't even talked about Desmond Ritter and Jerome Ford. Yep. Ford, the uh, the transfer running back from Alabama, who's uh, somewhere at the top of the list in the country and scoring touchdowns. I think he's got like 17, 18 rushing touchdowns and a touchdown catch to go along with it. They are extremely dangerous for anybody they play. All right. Talk to me like I'm five, guys. Other than money, why is USC a better job oh. than Oklahoma? I'm at Oklahoma. I have the entire state of Texas at my disposal because I've proved that, right? Oh. I've got remarkable Step facilities. right in, my friend. Step I've right in, and I'm ready for you. all the money in the world that I need at Oklahoma, and I've got a dynamite situation. Why am I going there where, look, I might be able to win an easy conference, dun, and I got a lot of brand. That tradition. No, listen. What does OU have? Look, I'm not even an OU guy. Who owns California right now? Nobody. Alabama does. Actually, actually, Alabama does. Nobody. Who owns Who owns California? This is the opportunity of a lifetime to go to a tradition-based school and own one of the great states, Bryce Young. DJ Uyunglele, mm-hmm. both coming out of the state of California, played in big games this weekend, and both of them are right there in the backyard of USC, and he couldn't get them. All, the ton of quarterbacks have left that state. I think you're overestimating Lincoln, his Lincoln. ability to keep those kids in California anyway. He got Spencer Rattler and Caleb Williams to come from Arizona and from Washington, D.C. They to go leave. to Norman, Oklahoma. They, they weren't going for Norman in the corner. Well, <laughs> which is which is all the more reason, Johnny, that he ought to be able to get any quarterback that he wants after Kyler right. Murray and, and Baker Mayfield. He could go to California and get two or three of them if he wanted to to come. Yeah, he, he, that's the, that's, that's an easy sell for, for him at mm. Oklahoma. Hey, I've just produced – Two number one picks in back-to-back years at the quarterback position. Come play for me. You think they're going to sign up for that? Absolutely. Well, Here's my reasoning for the switch. Three letters. S-E-C. Yep. That's why. That's exactly uh, why you're You don't have to deal with California. it. Don't have to deal with that kind of heat every Well, week. then that's all that's you and Texas' fault for leaving the – Freaking big but 12. these coaches didn't have that decision. That was they that why, they doing, it. why yeah, are they that, doing it? Keep your conference. Was it going to die they anyway? Can't, they can't. That decision came from way above their pay grade. But mm. I have heard it from a very well-known coach, won multiple national championships, that left the SEC mm. because and went to the Big Ten. That said, it's easier to win a national championship coming through the Big Ten than it is the SEC. I'm he glad wasn't somebody even said in the it. SEC. He wasn't even in the SEC West. He was coming out <laughs> of the East. <laughs> so when you think okay. you're going to be in the West with Texas and Alabama and so on and so forth, uh, not a lot of people are signing up for that one. It's certainly What's not Spencer? Lincoln Riley. 
what's Spencer going to say? Oh, he's oh, 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 oh. I want to ask him the same he, question. He's going to open Pandora's <laughs> box, and it's on. I want to ask oh. him. Dre, thanks a lot, buddy. All right, guys, thanks. Well, glad you asked, Mark, because Spencer Tillman will join us next and give his thoughts about what he saw Sunday and, of course, his alma mater, Oklahoma, on the business end of a decision that rocked the college football world. That's next on Texans All Access. Back this Monday edition of Texans All Access. I'm your host, John Harris, and I know that we have got a ton of fans out there, some really big fans of ours. But I got to give some props to today's biggest fan, and that's Dykin. These guys are doing big things in Houston from comfort and convenience to air quality. Dykin's innovations are changing how people enjoy the indoors as they lead the way to a more sustainable future, reducing our carbon emissions to net zero by 2050. As the world's number one air conditioning company, Dykin is committed to perfecting the air that connects us all. Learn more at perfectingtheair.com. It is Dykin. Like I said, welcome back. This segment is brought to you by Mattress Firm, the official mattress retailer of your Houston Texans. And it's time to talk to our pal, Spencer Tillman, who is interesting enough to talk to with just Texan stuff going on. We always love to get the pulse of a former player, what he thinks, does inside the game on KTRK Channel 13. But then you throw on top of the fact the seismic decision for Lincoln Riley to leave Spencer's alma mater. This is some fun stuff, getting a chance to talk to Spencer Tillman. After the first couple of touchdowns, they weren't able to score again. What are your thoughts? Because it was working early. It did not work for the last two and a half quarters. Well, the first drive, as you pointed out, was an indication of, I thought, what was going to be part of the whole game. But, you know, credit the Jets for making adjustments and, um, you know, the, the yardage that you gained on the ground became a little bit more difficult. I thought Rex ran hard and well. But uh, for the most part, I think the second half was a it was a tale of two halves in, in, in that regard. Maybe actually, maybe not accurately by that definition. It was more like that first drive. And then after that, the throw game got going a little bit. Of course, you had two touchdowns. And I love Brevin Jordan at the, at the point of that the little cluster formation. Very rarely will you see a tight end in that position. But I, that tells you how talented that guy is. He's going to be a special uh, player no matter what happens down the road. So those are some positive things that I saw. But to your point, um, it, was, it was disappointing because you're supposed to be able to make real-time adjustments and be able to do what we began this year off is what was going to be your identity. Now, we all know that the running game, uh, the machinations up front of the offensive line, it's been rejiggered so many different times. We get all that. But this is what you said you wanted to be, and you weren't that. And uh, it's just disappointing more than anything else. Spence, along those lines, you mentioned the reconfiguration of the offensive line. Titus, let's stay with Titus in particular, moving from left guard out to left mm-hmm. tackle. And I've had this conversation with uh, a, a few people out there. Like, it's only three feet to the left, but it's like a world of difference <laughs> moving out there to left tackle. I don't know if you had a chance to just watch him in particular and just watch that fit. I wouldn't be surprised, and I'll watch, go back and watch the game today. I wouldn't be surprised if he felt more comfortable because that's what he's done uh, you know, back at Alabama State. Your overall thought about just him moving out there, and if you did get a chance to focus on him a few plays, what did you think of Titus out at left tackle? 
Well, the, the move was utility, right? I mean, obviously he began out there, then came down, you know, this new regime moved him inside and, and moved him back outside out of utility. It was necessity. So um, I, I don't think it's quite like riding a bicycle because when you got you when you're inside, you got help on either side of you. And I think there's a security blanket mentality that's associated with that. Well, one way that you kind of mitigate that is you run some tight, tight in formations or, or have somebody outside of him, whether he was offset or on the line. You know, you can do there are ways that you can mitigate that, but you shouldn't be having to cover up for a guy that's playing that position because usually that tackle has got to be your best guy on, on the line, on either side, right? Obviously, the blind side of the quarterback is the one that you, you rely most heaviest on. But if you're doing it out of utility, that guy probably isn't your A-list guy. And so there's a reason why you move him down inside. At least that's the theory. Uh, I think, for the most part, the two pressures that came from his side really weren't the issue. The, the sacks came from the other side, you know, on Charlie's side. And, and, and I think that, that group right there is the one that struggled on the, on the screen that it comes to mind immediately. Yeah. You know, you, you, you timing on that screen has to be perfect, man. And when you're doing, I think it was just doing too much on those screens. You got jet motion. You got you got your back quarterback turning his back to the formation. If you're trying to sell that, and yet you, you're hoping that you get no penetration with this current machination of the line, I think that's a bit much. I think you need to get rid of the ball as soon as you possibly can. I understand the kid member to play action. I understand what it's all about. But if the fundamentals that make that 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 play action work aren't working. You're really putting your quarterback in a bad spot, turning his back to the coverage in the front. So uh, that's the only thing I would question a little bit. I'd take a little bit more eye candy off of that stuff and just go out there and realize this is what we're dealing with as far as the front is concerned. Spencer, we had the Justin Reed situation yesterday. We had a few other guys this year who were deactivated. And this happens around the league. This happens in sports. Uh, what is the reaction in the locker room, you think, when these kinds of things happen? I know we're not in the meeting rooms with the Texans. We're not in the locker room. But mm-hmm. I'm just talking about in general. And you've been a player and been part of these types of things before. Uh, what can you share with us about this? Well, Mark, it's a great question. And I love what I do because, you know, every week, you know, having spent you know, a decade in the National Football League as a player, and then every week I'm in – the minds of coaches and even players to a large degree. And so I know what they're thinking, particularly the younger players as well. Let me tell you something. When you have leadership, and I know the Texans have kind of changed things the way they, uh, you know, elect their captains. It's on a week-to-week basis, but that's predictable too because you got about three-quarters of your squad there with one-year one year, uh, contract. So that, that sense of competition, context, and urgency is something that can serve you well. However, it does reach a point of an inflection where it starts to do the opposite. Because if you're dealing with a leader, a guy that's an impact guy, your mind starts to race. You cannot not play the inside game, right? When you start thinking, about, well, okay, here's a guy whose contract is coming up and maybe this is a prelude, your mind starts to race. And that part of it you cannot stop. Now, you can try to limit how much you let it go, but you can't stop this. So you gotta, Davis got to have his finger on the pulse of that. Uh, so you got, you got to be careful about that. And I'm just being transparent with you. Uh, and to the degree that you can control that part of it, you can at least stave off what may be an inevitability uh, for a couple of more weeks. So uh, that's the thing that I would say about that. It's tough. It's difficult. And you never want a leader, uh, a guy that would probably be a captain if you were electing them on a year basis like they used to do. Uh, but that's not the case, and um, it's a tough spot to be in, that's for sure, because we live in a world of images and impressions, and what it looks like is not something that's conducive to continuity in the locker room. Spencer, I'm just going to open the floor. I'll give you one sentence. You take it where you want. Oklahoma head coach Lincoln Riley has arrived in L.A. to be the new coach at USC. 
Your thoughts? Brilliant move. Absolutely brilliant move. And I will say this, guys, and I'm not – please, the listeners, don't, don't think I'm trying to veil something here. I'm, I'm just being as clear as I know how to be. Okay, big picture, Oklahoma's going to the SEC. I said five weeks ago when I had Oklahoma State, I said Oklahoma State is a more fitting team for the SEC right now than Oklahoma. What you saw in Bedlam this year was a prelude to what will happen to Oklahoma when it moves to the SEC. Nobody's going to argue that the financial windfall associated with that move wasn't good. It was the right thing to do if you're looking at it purely economically. However, we know, especially for an Oklahoma, that the currency of the game is tradition. Back during the 40s and 50s when they built this thing, it was because they were playing with 27, 28, 30-year-old guys who were in the war who had come back. Everybody didn't have that advantage. Oklahoma got its dominance. It's not a recruiting hotbed. You better know who you are before you start thinking you're bold enough to go in the SEC. I sat in that seat for almost 20 years at CBS. I can tell you, it, for good or bad, it is a religion to them. It's as it's, it's daunting as Oklahoma fans think they are with respect to their image about the game. It can't compare to what it is down in the SEC. Lincoln Ryland understood that. And so now he's going to be a big fish in a pond that is yet to grow. And it's the, match, the next version that we see of the Pac-12 is going to be much better. It's going to dwarf what the Big 12 currently is now and will be in the future in terms of gravitas. We'll still have to deal with the time issues being on the West Coast, but he still will have so much growth opportunity. Graham Harrell's there. I look for him to stick around. And by the way, as a topper, I've got USC and Cal in the makeup game this week. That's going to be a sidebar, the game. We're going to be talking about Lincoln Riley most of the time. His destination, of course, USC. So it's it's fun. I thought the move was brilliant. So you think the invasion of Texas recruiting-wise from the SEC ramped up even more, obviously, with the Longhorns and Sooners joining the conference because we know the Sooners get so many players from Texas, so it's going to be harder than ever. Mm -hmm. Is that part of the deal? Well, I mean, that's going to be the case no matter what anyway. But, you know, I think that both of them did themselves a disservice. Listen, guys, you cannot stretch the fabric of reality and not pay a price for it at some point in time. I think that you have a distorted sense of self, and I'm talking Oklahoma and Texas in this regard. Texas still hadn't figured out what its problem is right now. When players start decommitting, you need to understand what your issues is, are, and they don't understand what they are. Oklahoma's full of hubris right now. The Greeks call it excessive pride. When you have a distorted view of who you are, you make decisions like they made. And that's the difficult truth. And I'm, I'm sitting here as a Sooner guy. I, I believe Crimson Red, but I, I, I paid two da- four daughters through that institution. I, I can say what I want to say about it. And this is the truth. It's an objective view from somebody that sits in this seat. And Oklahoma's got issues in that regard. All right, Spencer. Uh, let me see if I can throw a few names and see if there's any of them that stick. Matt Campbell, Iowa State. Mark Stoops, Kentucky. Uh, Mike Leach, Mississippi State. Ooh. I'm throwing a few out there. I'm trying to think if there's anybody else I've missed. Who would you, if you had to walk in and Joe Castiglione called you and said, Spencer, I need a guy. Give me a guy. <laughs> which guy? Call him. Which guy? Yeah, which guy? You're asking him to go I know. public. Yeah, so just tell me what your conversation is going to be. Which guy would you champion as the next head coach for you, Oklahoma? I'm going to give you a I'm going to give you some homework. I know, John, you probably already know this. I'm going to give some people some homework. Here's, I would do an outlier move, okay? Mm. I would, you know, if you look at what Kirby Hoke at, at, at Texas Tech, he went and got a high school coach, right? Uh, yeah. You know, this recruiting strategy there. But there's a guy at uh, Kentucky Wesleyan 
and who left HBU, who was at Texas Tech and coached Patrick Mahomes for three years, and he took the quarterback, Zeppi, with him to Western Kentucky, and he's thrown for almost 5,000 yards. I bet you know who I'm talking about. I know you're talking about. The name escapes me. I can't remember his name, but uh, yeah. Just say Zach. Let 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 your fans go figure out who it is. But go look at what he did with Zeppi this year, and then think about him as an offensive coordinator. You may want to go get a front model guy to be your head coach, but as far as an offensive mind, he would be the guy that I would elevate, and it would be consistent with the history at Oklahoma. Because when you got Bob Stoops, Bob Stoops was a white-hot defensive mind. Well, that, that ebb and flow has gone and passed, right? Well, you went to an offensive savant with, with Lincoln Riley, and that, that worked. But both what they have in common is they've never been head coaches before. And so, whereas Bob's was 18, 20 years nearly at Oklahoma, uh, seven you get with Lincoln Riley, I think the next guy's going to be a similar situation, never been a head coach, but could be an offensive coordinator. I think he's ready now. So I think I would do that. That would be the outlier move, and I'd go get me a, a face. I wouldn't even put it out there that Bob Stoops wouldn't be something that Joe Casiglione would approach again, as long as you can get an offensive mind that can make it happen. I think you could do an interim two-year deal with Bob, and he would, he would probably look at that and say, oh, man, that sounds interesting. Uh, I think he would do that. But um, for the most part, I don't know if anybody's going to take it right now, but that's what I would do. I would find that offensive coordinator at Western Kentucky and then begin from there. And that name I was searching for, Zach Kitley. Graduate of Texas Tech, uh, did a couple of stints as a student assistant, graduate assistant. Then I saw him when he was at HBU. I covered a game, uh, I think it was the last game of the 2018 season, maybe 2019. No, 2019 season. And Zach was there. Well, when he went to Western Kentucky, he took everybody. He took Jarrett Stearns, wide receiver, um, a couple other receivers, and he took Bailey Zappi, quarterback, who was setting all kinds of records at HBU. And they set all kinds of records at Western Kentucky. So how about a little Brent Venables head coach, Zach Kitley, offensive coordinator. Oklahoma would have a pretty solid duo if that's the way they chose to go. So uh, we'll find out what Oklahoma does in due time. But interesting stuff from Spencer Tillman. All right, we get back. Let's take a run around the NFL. Take a look at a few scores and games that took place yesterday right here on Texans All Access. What's going on, everybody? One final segment of this edition of Texans All Access. I am your host, John Harris, football analyst, sideline reporter, and a former teacher. And I am calling all of my fellow teachers out there. If you want to bring a little Texans football to your classroom, then I've got your answer. It's Toro's Math Drills, presented by ConocoPhillips. Toro's Math Drills, the video series, designed to help third and fourth graders learn how to tackle math in the classroom. Go to HoustonTexans.com slash Toro's Math Drills. You got to have those drills. Now, I know at this time of year, teachers, they need a break. It's long. I mean, they're just, you know, they had Thanksgiving break. You know, got exams in some cases. And so on a Monday night, they want to watch some Monday night football. Who doesn't want to watch Seahawks and the Washington football team tonight? Well, I know when my teachers are at home, and everybody else for that matter, on a Monday night, they're celebrating with the Miller Lite. Miller Lite has been a true Texas original since being first brewed in Texas. That's right, in Texas, first brewed since 1975. The original light beer is celebrating 20 seasons of the Houston Texans. Check out the limited edition 16-ounce commemorative cans at your nearest beer store. Miller Lite, championship partner of the Houston Texans. Great taste with only 96 calories and 3.2 carbs. However, you and your friends are enjoying Miller time this season, you can have the original light beer with great taste delivered by going to MillerLite.com 
slash buy beer online and find the delivery options near you. Celebrate responsibly. Miller Brewing Company, Fort Worth, Texas, 96 calories and 3.2 carbs per 12 ounces. And with that being said, let's go around the league as quickly as we can. This is kind of like a little two-minute drill of what happened yesterday in the NFL. I like saying that, NFL. Man, the Bengals got all over the Steelers yesterday, 41-10. to And it really wasn't even the Joe Burrow to Jamar Chase show. It was Joe Mixon, 28 carries, 165 yards, two tutties. The Bengals go to 7-4 with a 41-10 win. The Texans' next opponents, the Indianapolis Colts, they lost at home the fall to 6-6 six six to the defending champs, the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Leonard Fournette had four tutties, 100 yards rushing, three touchdowns rushing, one receiving. Gronk had 123 yards receiving, and the Bucs win 38-31 in Lucas Oil. The Dolphins continue and win their fourth straight. That started with the win over us, then the Ravens, then the Jets, and yesterday's victim, the Panthers, to a tongue of Iowa. Don't look now, but maybe it's turning around. 230 yards, passing on 27 of 31 with a tutty. Miles Gaskin had two touchdowns. Rushing the star, though, was Jalen Waddle. Nine catches, 137 yards, one touchdown. The Dolphins put up 33. And oh, by the way, Jalen Phillips on the defensive side was outstanding. Standing. Patriots hammered the Titans 36-13. to The Titans need a bye in the worst way. Ryan Tannehill only 93 yards passing. Mac Jones 310 yards and two tutties. The Patriots are on a roll. The G-Man beat the Eagles somehow. 13-7. Falcons went into Jacksonville and beat up the Jags 21-14. Matt Ryan threw a touchdown, but it was Cordell Patterson who had 108 yards rushing and two touchdowns. What a day for him. The Broncos, Patrick Sertan, the star, a pick six and another pick. Denver wins 28-13. to Nothing real sexy for anybody there other than that Broncos defense getting it done. Packers beat the Rams in Green Bay 36-28. to A-Rod, 307 yards passing, two touchdowns. Devontae, 104 yards receiving, and the Rams are struggling. The 49ers beat the Vikings. Don't look now, but the 49ers are hot. Elijah Mitchell, 133 yards rushing, and I'm going to rue the day that we didn't end up with him. The Ravens beat the Browns 16-10 in one of the ugliest games you've ever seen. Lamar Jackson threw three three interceptions on five passes in the second quarter, yet won the game 16-10. To 10, and that is your race around the NFL. A big thanks to Spencer, to Andre, to Mark, to all of you for listening. Thank you so much. We'll see you next time. And as always, go Texans.